On today's show, Damian Lillard is a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. How does it impact the Cavs? How does it impact the East? We're going to talk about it. Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. All right, I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damrell, Locked On Cast Podcast, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. Thanks going to Jake Stevens, as always, for producing. This was going to be a mailbag episode to end the week. But then Damian Lillard got traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. He's there now. He has reshaped the East in some ways. How the Cavs with the Bucks is now, I think, a little bit different and interesting to discuss. So we're going to talk all about this Dame trade and through a Cavs prism as best we can on today's show. Mailbag next week, so please drop those questions in on YouTube. Email us at LockdownCavs at gmail.com and get those questions in. Could even be a two-part mailbag if we get like a couple more questions. We can really blow that out uh, probably after immediate day at this point. But to start, Evan, let's talk about how this impacts the East because I think if you look at the betting markets, the Bucks are now the the favorite in the East. They were already second, uh, I believe, to the Celtics. That, to me, feels right. I think I was already favoring the Bucks over the Celtics. I just like Milwaukee scene better, but I think Dame, with what him and Giannis are going to be as a duo, the shot-making he provides, maybe it's a little bit prisoner of the moment. I think certainly probably is. But I think this is now the favorite in the East if we're looking into it. I think that's the, the landscape the Cavs are now kind of operating in. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a good way to look at it. And it's funny because I'm speaking of odds. We did a full deep dive into like award races and conference races and things like that uh, via odds from our regular sponsor, FanDuel. Um, and I offhand mentioned like, what if the Bucks do acquire Damian Lillard? How much does that shift the landscape of things? But now we can actually have that conversation because we jokingly said like, hey, it's not going to happen. It's like a 2K trade. But all things considered, um, Giannis put his uh, ring on the table and said, I want another one of these to the Bucks." during a lot of just not so subtle hints to the Milwaukee front office. And Milwaukee responded in kind. And I think this Bucks team is going to be very, very scary in the Eastern Conference next year because I love the Drew Holiday upgrade off, off of Eric Bledsoe. Um, I said on this show, and I've said to a lot of people in the past before Drew was a um, Milwaukee Buck that the, the the Bucks make a lot of sense for him just in terms of defensive upside. But now, if you flip the script um, offensively, like the Bucks have a ton of defense on the back line between Giannis and Brook Lopez, but now they have a really scary trio of Giannis, Chris Middleton. I mean, you can include Lopez in there as well, and of course now Damian Lillard. And it's just, it's scary how lethal Milwaukee can be on both ends of the floor. I think the pick and roll potential between Giannis and Lillard alone in terms of just outside scoring threats and then the interior just wrecking force that is Giannis, the full head of steam, like is terrifying. And yeah, I would not be surprised at all if they go out and just win the whole damn thing, as uh, some players do say, just because this was a power move and Milwaukee consolidated power by getting arguably the best player available uh, on the trade market. I I've did a breakdown by myself and just basketball. I listened to part of the um, 
the Athletics one with Dave DeVore and Eric Nem. I can't wait to listen to Lockdown Bucks. Can't wait to listen to Lockdown Heat. Like, there's a lot of angles of this, and I mm-hmm. think there's so many ways. I think if you look at now, one of the things that could have happened, I think, is let's say the Toronto part of this has gone through, Damon gone there. I think mm-hmm. the East gets a little more congested for the top six. I think now, if I'm looking at the seven, this would be my top. This would be the the, the top six teams to me in the East on paper coming into the season. Milwaukee, Boston, Cleveland, Philly, New York, Miami. That would be the six. If Toronto had gotten in there, that gets more competitive. I think Atlanta should be better than they were last year to some degree as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is already going to be really competitive. But in some ways, if you're Cleveland, I kind of wonder if you're okay with Dame as much as like my Milwaukee won 58 games last year and like it's going to be really good. I, I also just maybe think you're like, oh, okay. Like, it's just there is still like a softer middle, I think, here in the conference now to some degree, right? Like, I don't think like Toronto didn't suddenly catapult itself into contention for the top three or something. I think like now it's clearly, I think there are two really, really great teams at the top, a really good middle class that I think Cleveland is a part of a step beyond those teams. And then there's, there's a drop off from there at a couple different levels. So that team list you just listed, is it in that order or are you just rattling off like, hey, Milwaukee and Boston? I, I, would say, I would say rattling, right? Like I think Milwaukee, I think Milwaukee and Boston would be my top two. And I think I would go in that order, right? Yeah, I, we're, we're in agreement. I, I was just curious uh, yeah. once you said Cleveland third and raised an eyebrow. I'm like, well, Philly and Miami are still pretty good and they could. Uh, well, but here's the thing moves. with Miami. But here's the thing with Miami. Like they'd have to make another move. They won 44 games in the regular season. They'd have to like really bank on that carrying on in the regular season in a way it didn't last year. Maybe that happens. Philly is just in a weird spot. Maybe they go get Drew. That's already been reported. They have interest and that, that helps them, but they also might, they, they're going through some stuff. I think I still, we're going to talk, we talked about this on the odd show. Um, I think both of them that have come out, maybe the second one more explicitly, but like, I think the Cavs are going to be a regular season wins monster. I, I see that in their future a little bit. It wouldn't shock me if like they finish third in this East, even if they're maybe not the team we think of as like the third best team in the conference as far as the title picture in some ways. And I still think there will be some healthy skepticism coming off the playoffs. And I don't think they're on Milwaukee's level, right? Like I, I don't. Mm-hmm. No, that they aren't. I, like, I think they could very well easily be like the third seed. But I do, do you agree that there's like a like that? Do you agree with my tearing that there's like two teams clearly at the top that are the favorites right now? And then like four, maybe five teams if you want to put Atlanta in there in that like middle to varying degrees. And then there's a drop off to another tier. And then there's like the real, real bottom dwellers, which would be to me, Washington and, and Detroit. No, I don't disagree with those tiers. Um, I think the, the, the things can be still a little bit fluid for teams like Philadelphia or even Miami. Like what if Drew Holiday does end up in Miami? Like not a lot of offensive upside there, but like the defensive grind fest that would become the Miami Heat would be terrifying. Um, we'll see, obviously, if the Clippers somehow get back into play to acquire James Harden. Like that could shift the calculus quite a bit for Philly as well, depending on what they get back in return for Harden. Um, and again, like the, I think this Lillard trade was the first like big, big domino. Maybe we see a, a few more star players move before the start of training camp because like James Harden is not reported or expected according to Keith Pompey to be at Sixers media day. So like that's a pretty, pretty clear indication that he still wants to be traded. But I, I think your hierarchy. Yeah, they're there. I agree with it. Um, I don't know how wide the gulf is between like the Cleveland's, the Boston's and the Miami's of the world between 
um, them and or sorry, the Clevelands, the Philadelphias, and the Miamis of the world between them and Boston. But like, I think there is a pretty decent golf between um milwaukee and then like any team in the eastern conference i mean i think boston could nip at their heels and maybe take them in the series but jamie and lillard is just like a hand and glove fit in terms of just like a point guard that fits so well with Giannis and Kumpo. and just like that too alone is like if you want like a path or a vision of what you hope the Cavs could be between mobley and garland like at their absolute 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 apex like 100 percentile in terms of development like the Milwaukee's running the template of it. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this Bucks team evolves and grows and how they navigate just like their rigorous course of an 82 game season. Because despite all of his like, you know, praises and how good he is, Damian Lillard does have some defensive concerns. And if you're Cleveland, especially Darius Garland, you're, you have a sigh of relief because you're no longer going to be put in hell when you're facing Drew Holiday on defense or um, when he's defending you when you're on offense the whole time. So. Mm-hmm. There's that drop off there, but I just like the offensive upside is such a huge shot in the arm because you have one of the best players in the world, Giannis, and it's a power move for sure. It's not on the same level as Cleveland acquiring Donovan Mitchell last year. It's much, much more significant than that, I'd say. But yeah, I think these are the stakes just because the Eastern Conference has become such a volatile, competitive conference as the West is kind of like Denver's conference to have a stranglehold on with Phoenix and maybe the Lakers nipping at their heels a little bit. But it's going to be interesting to see. But I agree with your cheers, but I think it can obviously change if you like see what happens with some of these other two teams that uh, may have missed out on. I've said the Bucks are my favorite. Just give me give me the team, Evan, right now you think is your favorite in the East. The Bucks, without a doubt in my mind. Um, yeah. Until I see otherwise, um, on paper, this team is just so loaded on both ends of the floor. And like, yeah, they have some depth concerns, but it's th- that can be addressed pretty easily if you're a team like that. And the rich got a whole lot richer <laughs> acquiring Damian Lillard and really, really uh, widened the gap in terms of competitiveness and just who's getting out of the East alive. Yeah. All right, coming up next, how do the Cavs match up with the Damian Lillard era Bucks? We're going to talk about that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. DoorDash, obviously you know what DoorDash does as far as getting you food from your favorite restaurants. Brought to you and now you can do it for groceries. If you're missing that syrup for your pancakes, you ran out of your favorite coffee creamer, you can use DoorDash grocery delivery and get what you want right when you need it. Look, you've trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites, and now you can get grocery delivery that actually delivers too. With thousands of grocery stores to choose from, you can get just about everything you're looking for. You can find your best in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every order. And with easy substitutions right in the app and best-in-class customer support, DoorDash delivers groceries exactly how you want it. Plus, if you want even more value, you can save on all your grocery and restaurant favorites with a $0 delivery fee and all eligible orders with a Dash Pash membership. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use our code LOCKDOWNNBA at checkout. Limited time offer and term supply. That's 50% off, off up to $20, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter our code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. All right, we're back here on Lockdown Cavs. Chris Manning and Evan Damro with you. 
How do these teams match up? Hey, Evan, here's where my brain first went with this. Lay it on me. I think one the one thing if you watch these teams play last year that I think caused Cleveland some problems was that Drew Holiday was such a defensive menace and that he is this big guard who could switch on both guards, give both of them problems, could really scale up on Mitchell. There was just a lot there that I think gave the Cavs some problems, that gave their guards some problems. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges for Cleveland in defending Dame. I think there's obviously challenges in defending Giannis. This is not going to be an easy team for Cleveland to defend based on their personnel. I, I There will be some challenges here. But I think on the other end, if I'm Cleveland, I, I do... I kind of like their ability to attack Milwaukee's defense a little bit differently now just because I think Garland and Mitchell can attack Dame much easier, I think, than they they can Mm -hmm. Drew, who is a great, great defender, and Dame's just not that guy. As great as he is in offense, he's not that guy as a defender. No, he's not that guy as a defender. Like You saw it a lot, especially before Donovan Mitchell arrived. Like Drew Holiday was just stuck to Darius Garland. Um, the entire time, whenever the Bucs played the Cavs, and that was when Garland was dealing with back problems as well. So, like, you could tell he was clearly frustrated and it was one of, Gar- one of Garland's uh, not-so-great nights in terms of just, like, a su- supreme third season in the NBA. But I agree with you. I think that the Bucs certainly traded def- perimeter defensive upside for um, a much, much more lethal offensive attack just because, again, in a pick-and-roll with Giannis, you have Giannis the whole head of steam coming at the basket. And then that's going to create so much space for um, Dame to operate as well, like the geometry on the floor um, between Giannis and Dame alone. And then you've adding Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, uh, Pat Connaughton is likely going to start at the shooting guard spot. And, like he can provide you some of that defensive grind and also just shooting and spacing as well. Like the Bucks are going to be very scary on offense. And I agree with you. Like at least the the, the Cavs guards are gonna have an easier time getting past uh, Milwaukee on the perimeter. Like Chris Middleton's no slouch, but he's not gonna be the every man to cover for some of Dame's issues out there. But once you get past that, you do do you do have to deal with quite a scary twosome of Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brook Lopez. And Lopez is on, arguably one of the best defensive players in the league. Giannis is. Uh, and as we talked about on the odd show, like a top three favorite to maybe win defensive player of the year this upcoming season. Um, like that, that's going to be the new challenge then is like, do the Cavs guards or just any player really like use physicality or strength to get one of or both of Giannis and Brooke in foul trouble so that it makes it a little bit life a little bit easier so you can keep attack exploiting this mismatch and weakness? Or do you have two very adept defenders that can hold their own? Um, that, that's, that's where I go to with it. I think one of the challenges Cleveland's going to face is also just, I think defending Dame is going to be really interesting for them because Dame is going to light it up from anywhere. And one of the things I think every team that faced the Bucks that they could do is they could go under on Drew. Drew is a great player, but if there's a weakness in his game, you would dare him to shoot pull-up threes. Yeah. You're going to take try to put two bodies on Giannis, limit him rolling, limit him in the paint. Well, what do you do now? Like, what do you do? Right? Like, Dame, Dame is going to be like, they're going to, if you go under a screen on Dame, he's sticking a three in your face. I agree with you. And it's, I mean, it's a challenge for any team that's facing this Buck squad just because the gravity that Damian Lillard possesses is Steph Curry like in that regard, where like you have to kind of keep a guy 
pinned him at all times. And like you said, like you can go under on Drew. Uh, the Bucks ran into this issue quite a bit when they had Eric Bledsoe um, running point for them instead. Like the, the Bucks were having a hard time keeping defenses honest at times on the perimeter. And like sure, Drew is much more reliable for three point shooter than Bledsoe was, but now you've just got the nuclear option in terms of Damian Lillard now and it makes the Bucks incredibly volatile on offense. And I'm morbidly curious to see what kind of offensive scheme um, their new coaching staff runs and compared to what Mike Budenholzer maybe did. Like I know they have Terry Stotts on the uh, coaching staff in Milwaukee now. Maybe they run a lot of stuff that was similar to what made Dick Dame successful in terms of just screening and actions um, when he was in Portland. But I am just curious to see, like, do the Bucks have enough perimeter juice just from Dame and Chris Middleton alone to make it an issue? I think they do. I think there might be nights where, like, Dame's colon maybe can't get it going, but he's such a hot guard and he's such a heat check guard that he can just kind of exploit mismatches and maybe defenses sagging off the defend Giannis who's crashing into the basket. Like, it's going to be really hard. And again, if you want to find a way to kill the Bucks, it's getting one of their stars in foul trouble and like that's a really hard task to begin with and then exploiting the fact that they are very thin on the perimeter and lacking in depth in certain spaces i am really one of these i'm gonna look at i cannot wait to see these teams play like like i like Cavs box is already a really interesting deal it is already one of those games where like for the Cavs, it's a good measuring stick it's a good challenge for them but now like this just feels elevated in like a really, really interesting way and in looking at it. So they don't they play Milwaukee for the first time and not until December twenty ninth at home. Yeah. Well Damian they Lillard don't get will them. be in Miami uh or he go, comes to Cleveland, so Yeah. Well that's but that's um, my that's that's Miami's problem. Um Friday, December twenty ninth, Cavs Bucks, NBA TV game. That immediately is a game that if it wasn't on our list when we did our top 10 games on the schedule, I'm now highlighting that. I am putting, I'm doing everything I can to remind myself that it's like, hey, don't make plans. Like, family in town? Sorry. Gotta, I got I to gotta be at Cavs Bucks downtown. When is it again? December 29th. Right after okay. Christmas. That's a great Christmas present for me personally. That is, but hopefully the Bucks were green and the Cavs were red as well to really tie the theme together. But... um. Last last game of the year for the of the year for the Cavs too. That's the last game of twenty twenty three. That's even more interesting. Um, I mean that that's like an arbitrary thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's arbit- just, yeah, like you said, it's an arbitrary thing. But yeah, that that's going to be. I don't want to say must see TV because there's other games that you're going to get hyped up for for sure. But like it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really explosive. I mean, and it's also it's a measuring stick game for the Cavs too. Yeah. Say like okay. Are we able to hang with the best team um, in these? Arguably, at least the best team in the Eastern Conference. We'll see by that point where Milwaukee's standing. They could be come out guns blazing, or maybe there are some growing pains I deal with. But on paper, this is the best team in the East. And how do the Cavs hang up with them? Hang with them? Um, yeah, like December 29th is going to be like your one of your first like big big boy litmus tests if you're this Cavs team that really wants to show you belong in the uh, upper echelons of the Eastern Conference. All right, one more break. Let's talk about guard trade value right after this. Evan, you brought up this idea in our group text planning this. Uh, one of the things that you was like, okay, what does this mean, I guess, as compared to what the, the, the Blazers got for Dame and, and thinking ahead a little bit if the Cavs do end up having to trade Mitchell. Where did your brain go when you're maybe thinking about 
the idea that this could say something about what the Cavs could get if they had to trade Mitchell again in, in let's say, a year and a half, two years, something like that. Well, first and foremost, like it was that depending on where Damian Lillard went, like teams could shift their focus to Giannis Adenokounmpo, especially after Giannis's comments and just how like he wants to be playing for championships and he's uh, not satisfied with one ring and a couple MVPs and plenty of accolades and an already Hall of Fame career, which you know you we want to hear from a franchise cornerstone, of course. But um, more than that, like. You look at it now, like there's teams like Miami. Um, New York is a team that's always going to be linked, and that was a team that could have been linked to Giannis as well. Maybe like the Lakers or just like teams that have like a lot of big market value and a lot of marquee value to it. Like, okay, now that Damian Lillard is um, gone, he's off the table. I think you'd assume now that Giannis is very happy that they got Damian Lillard and he's off the table as well too. A guy whose name is going to come up, and it's already been reported by Brian and Windhorse, and you and I talked about this already. We're not surprised by it either. Like, a name that's going to come up is uh, Donovan Mitchell. Like, he is going to be available. He's going to be technically 29 by the la- uh, after the last year of his contract, maybe 30, uh, just like in that sweet spot right there. Sure, he's younger than Damian Lillard. There's a little, a lot of less wear and tear on his body compared to what Lillard maybe had to do in all those years in Portland, but. When you look at what the Blazers got, and yes, they got DeAndre Ayton, who could be a franchise cornerstone-like player for the the big man position, albeit maybe limited in terms of just what he can provide you. Um, and yeah, they got Drew Holiday, which they can probably the they as in the Blazers can get some nice pieces for. But you're like Cleveland, or you look at a team like Cleveland, they're in a different spot than Portland is. Uh, they are a team that is trying to contend, not rebuild like the Blazers are. And now you look at just how this is shaking up, like. What do the Cavs do? Like, are they going to be satisfied with the offers? Like, this is just throwing this out in the ether. Like, if Miami is like the serious bidder for Donovan Mitchell, like, are you satisfied with Tyler Harrow and some picks and like salary to fill the spaces and cracks? Or do you have to maybe look at more dramatic packages and kind of figure it out? Like, I I don't know what the Cavs could maybe get, but now like there's going to be maybe a bit of a bidding war. And when you look at what the Blazers got for Dame, like it might seem a little underwhelming on paper, but there's there's levels to a rebuild, and I think they're not quite done making moves yet. But it's just an interesting thought exercise. Like, what do the Cavs do? Like, do they do what they did with Kyrie back in 2017, the 2017-18 season leading into it, and like trade him for Isaiah Thomas, Ante Zizek, Jay Crowder, and a first-round pick that we can call on Sexton and not let go of the pick? Or do they make that win-now move, and then with the pick they get, do they try to make another win-now move on top of it to recoup the loss and then build around, like, full steam ahead on Garland and um, Mobley? Like, it's just an interesting thought exercise. Like, and it's something we talked about. Like, it's going to be on the back of your mind just because it's pretty clear, like, Mitchell isn't going to sign an extension in the Cleveland next summer. I mean, I, I think next summer is a different question as far as extension goes. I mean, I think next summer you're going to have... The, uh, this is not... Look, when we do this, have this conversation, I think we're not where with Mitchell where Dame is now. I think if you... I, we're just not. I mean, it, Dame got to where he asked out. Also had a different relationship with the franchise. Then I think Mitchell, just because the length of time there. I also think it's hard for me just considering we haven't seen the season yet. And even if you have some people that have offered very strong takes, if I just have to get trade Mitchell, like he's never going to sign, just got to trade him. I think there's a year 
and markets for other stars, and we'll see where that goes, and we'll see what that means. I also would just say, I think if you're Cleveland, if it comes to that, and to be very clear, I don't think we don't know. We don't know where this is going to go. It's too early to know. Mitchell is, it will be like 28-29 and not 33 for a team that trades for him. That alone, that four-year age difference, also compared to Drew. Drew's 33. Whatever trade value he's going to get back for Portland. Mitchell's going to be at a much different age curve. That's going to give you an advantage in a trade. How much he, of an advantage, though? I think a pretty, I think a pretty decent advantage because if think about it, this if you're the Bucks, you're paying Damian Lillard two hundred and like twenty million dollars for the next four years, thirty three to thirty seven. If you're Donovan Mitchell and you're gonna someone trades from a twenty to twenty nine, you're gonna pay him for the four years until he's thirty three. That's a very different caliber of his prime than you're getting with Dame. There's risk, obviously, on in any trade. But I do think the age curve for Mitchell is a is a boon for Cleveland if it comes to that. It's part of the reason why like I think it like if you go back to the trade, if they from the beginning said, Okay, we know we might have to trade him at some point, you were never gonna have to trade Mitchell if it comes to that, in a position where he's gonna be at an age where it gets hard to trade him, or teams have risk, or whatever. Whoever trades for Mitchell is probably gonna know they're gonna keep him and they're gonna get him for like Essentially, some of his prime years. Like, there, with what we've seen from guards, there's not a reason necessarily, I think, to think that Mitchell is going to slow down like when he hits 30. I think, like, if you can expect him to be good till he's like 33, 34, 35, that's a really good spot to be if they do have to get to him. And again, he's younger. Like, he, the young, I think the age thing just does matter. Now, he has to also prove some things, I think, about what he's done. If, if he sustains last year's level of play, that would boost him as well. But I just, I think if you look what Portland got, they got one really good pick. They got some pick swaps. That's great. They did not get like a player that is nearly as good that as I think Cleveland would be trying to get if they had to trade Mitchell. Now, that might just work that way. The Cavs, when they traded for Mitchell, I think no one knew what Larry Markin was going to be. All that stuff. But like, Deandre Ayton's just like, fine. He, yeah, he's better I, than Yusuf Nurkic. He's better like, than he's Nurkic fine. and he's younger, but he's got a mammoth contract and he doesn't which, shoot which, like, threes or anything. So it, I mean, like, there, there's a limit to how much you yeah. can move work with that. But with a guy like DeAndre Ayton, like, yeah, it makes uh, Scoot Henderson's life a little bit easier trying to learn how to be the lead guard in the NBA. But there's going to be some, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think teams are going to be like tripping over themselves to acquire DeAndre Ayton. Like you said, they can try to absorb him or flip him down the line but like there's not going to be like unless it's like the indiana pacers for some reason um there's not going to be teams like clamoring to go get deandre Aiden. i feel no but i think like there will be i think in a year trade market will shift we'll see where things go we'll see where the market for other stars goes we'll see how these situations developed that's going to have a lot to say about the mitchell market but i would think at the end of the day if it comes to that for cleveland and he doesn't sign the extension and they feel like they have to trade him I think you're going to be in a spot where it's going to be you're going to have an ability to trade for him, trade him for like I think more than what Portland had to trade Dame for. I really I think you could see the bidding war. I think teams might be more willing to throw stuff in there at a certain point. 
And I do, I really do think the age thing will will play in Cleveland's benefits. Really, one of the reasons to me why that trade was doable for them is just the idea that you could trade him again if you had to. And I think part of the calculus from the beginning was, okay, if it comes to that, you're in a position where you're not going to lose him for nothing and get screwed on the back end. And you you can then it. And also, if you're Cleveland, if you're thinking about having to trade him, you owe it to Garland and Mitchell to give them win now maximum pieces and give them a chance to win. Portland can just trade Dame and say, we're rebuilding. We have Scoot. We have Anthony Simons. We're in a rebuilding area. Cleveland will not be in that spot. It will be a very different spot, I think, from what Portland could accept. Cleveland's going to have to be a little more aggressive, I think, in getting things back for Mitchell if it comes to that. Yeah, I am interested to see how much teams are willing to talk shop just because... um they do know, like, hey, Donovan doesn't want to be here. Like, we don't have to, like, cat- shell out like uh, the the Knicks did to acquire Carmelo Anthony so many moons ago. But I don't know. It's also, like you said, it's it's not like a fully grown conversation that we can have um, right now just because we don't know what the future holds. Like, things could change. Maybe Donovan changes his tune a little bit and he does warm up to the idea of extending with Cleveland. Like, people are people. Like, just because something is said now doesn't mean it's going to be the same thing several months from now either like things can change quite a bit and that's the beauty and sometimes like maybe the scary uncertain part of the bas- of covering basketball but i am intrigued to see what happens and maybe if it does come to this what kind of package do the Cavs get and i wonder if like the dame package that uh portland got and of course phoenix did get involved too but um if it's something comparable to that and then the Cavs can continue to make win now moves so that they can keep building around that core foundation of uh, Mobley and Garland. Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Deverell. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for production. Back at you after the weekend. We'll give you some content before Media Day, and then we'll be recapping Media Day early next week. Please tune in for that. Subscribe to Lockdown Cats if you're not already. Enjoy your weekends. Talk to you all soon.